Hello and welcome to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere universe. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. And we're joined by Autumn. Hi, I'm Autumn. Uh, we're back in St. Louis. <laughs> it's a normal episode this time. It's just a normal episode this time. Anybody I'm drinking coffee? It's just like normal. Anybody read anything? Yeah, so uh, I'm continuing to read Vallis. Um, it's basically still the same, more or less the same thing that I talked about last episode. I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, there was one passage that uh, was really gay where uh, Horse Lover, which is to say a possible alternate identity of Philip K. Dick, uh, talked passionately about how much he misses when he used to like hang out with Jesus and how much he loves him. And how desperate he is to find him again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Phil, the other Philip K. Dick character, was like, yeah, that's uh, that's really rough, buddy. While thinking, like, ah, doesn't he understand? If only he could realize that he's the one he's looking for. And it was just, I wanted it to be very gay. Um, it's not <laughs> going to be. I think Philip K. Dick is a very straight author. Um, but it's... The thing is, when you're writing one man longing for Jesus uh, and talking to another guy who is also himself, uh, it doesn't matter how heterosexual you are, what you've written is gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I enjoyed that. Um, and then I have also been reading Blind Sight, um, which is uh, by Peter Watts. Um, and I'm liking that a lot, too. Um, that is like... I think it's not technically his debut novel, but I think it is kind of the one he like broke out with and like got very famous for. Um, and uh, it's a it is hard science fiction, which is a category that I feel a little annoyed about because I think a lot of people try to define hard science fiction in ways that are incoherent. Like they try to say, "Oh, hard science fiction is science fiction that is scientifically accurate," and it's like, mm, no, it's fucking not. Like, yeah, the, <laughs> like. Um, for so many reasons. Like, when you look at, say, something like iRobot, which is, like, a classic of hard science fiction, the central premise of iRobot, the positronic brain and the three laws, is basically just, like, uh, what if we, what if you could summon a demon and trap it in a vessel, and when it was trapped in that vessel, it had to obey certain specific rules, but it, it would, uh, you know, in all kinds of bizarre, all kinds of bizarre behavior would be produced from those rules. And it's just that the demon is called a robot. But, like, the idea of the positronic brain is not explained and is not based in science. It is just a fantasy concept. Right. Uh, I have always felt that hard sci-fi is just sci-fi that insists upon itself. You're really fixed on this phrase lately. I just think it's fun. And also, (laughs) I kind of believe what I just said. I mean, I I kind of see what you mean. I think that there is science fiction that insists upon itself that would not be categorized as hard science fiction. Um... Like, I think that a lot of cyberpunk really insists upon itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think most cyberpunk is usually called hard, hard SF. In my opinion, mm-hmm. hard science fiction is like an aesthetic and a movement. And so, yes. like, it has something to do with the idea of real world science, but it's about evoking the idea of real world science um, mm-hmm. aesthetically more than it is about actually somehow being accurate to science. Um, and I think this is very true of Blindsight, which is... Like, Peter Watts is a guy who does a ton of scientific research for his books, and he writes in acknowledgments where he shouts out all of the, like, real-world researchers whom he got in touch with to find out information about how, like, 
black holes work and stuff like that. But then also there are fucking vampires in this book. <laughs> They're just vampires. Vampires are sick. I don't know what you want. Vampires are oh, sci fi. Everyone knows <laughs> they have rules. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I'm not I'm not complaining in the slightest because I do not okay. think that uh objective uh sort of loyalty to external science is something that fiction should strive for but i do think that the aesthetic of hard hard science fiction is sometimes really fun um and uh i'm really enjoying blindsight it is very dated um i don't remember the exact publication date but it's from like the mid 2000s i want to say and it contains things such as like discussions of like neurodivergence that uh, are blowing my mind a little bit. Like, neurodivergence <laughs> is really central to the story because the main character, uh, Siri Keaton, um, was born with some kind of seizure disorder and then had a hemispherectomy as a kid to, uh, you know, prevent his seizures, uh, but it drastically changed his personality and made him, like... Like, to be honest, it made him kind of like a a literary stereotype of autism in that mm-hmm. um, he doesn't really seem to, uh, you know, he doesn't really seem to feel empathy very easily in the sense of uh, feeling other people's feelings, but also in the sense of like understanding uh, right and wrong in the same way that other people do. Um, and he is kind of like extremely skilled at, taking in a lot of technical information and assembling it quickly and understanding it. And so by the time of the book, when he's an adult, he is actually very good at reading people, but that's because he has this intellectual capacity to do it, not because he has the same kind of um, emotional feedback that he feels like other people do. Um, So he is in some sense very alienated from the people around him. And, you know, all this is very thematic and I don't think it's total bullshit. Like sometimes significant brain surgery can have big effects on a person's personality. However, it's definitely not unproblematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I am. Um, one of the weirdest things about like going and reading books from even 15 years ago is just like, sometimes you read books from like a while back and you're like, Oh, this has problematic ideas about like queer people, but you kind of just like, know that's going to be the case and you kind of like I, I on some level just kind of roll with it and don't get too bogged down by it or at least try to like take an interest in like okay so like this is what society's attitude towards queer people is the thing with like when you read a book from 15 years ago like the ways that people talked about neurodivergent people even such a short time ago feels totally alien like we are still very much in a society that, like, is unkind um, and discriminatory towards neurodivergent people. But, like, the way that we talk about it in 2021 is so different from, like, even 10 years ago. And it's, like, very hard to go back to stuff that, like, treats people in, like, such outwardly, like, terrible ways sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Something I when I was reading this, uh, as, as I often do, uh, I'm I'm reading this book aloud to Ben, um, and I commented when I was talking about this. I was like, "Damn, I uh, I don't think you could publish this today." And he was like, eh, "I think you could because 
and this is one thing that's not good about hard science fiction as like a movement and an aesthetic. Uh, a lot of hard science fiction fans are really conservative, and I don't think Peter yes. Watts is. I think Peter Watts, as a person, has like changed and grown, and probably wouldn't write this book in exactly the same way today. But, um, but I do think, unfortunately, that you could get it published in more or probably. less the same way. Um, probably, yeah. Which, uh, and 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 like I said, it's it's not like it's deploying this stuff. Uh. It's not doing what Brandon is always doing with his autistic uh, caricature characters, which is literally just having them be these, like, minor, embarrassing, like, dehumanized people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, this book is deep in Siri Keaton's head, and it wants you to really, really think about what it's like to be Siri Keaton and why he is the way he is, and the reasons why he values being the way he is, but also understands that there's something kind of fucked up about the fact that he had an operation that changed the way that he is in the world and like understands why, like, for example, his parents are deeply uncomfortable with it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I I can easily imagine someone who, you know, mine, I am in some sense neurodivergent, uh, but I don't really see that particular experience reflected in this book. I can easily imagine someone with a different kind of neurodivergence than mine reading this book and being like, oh, fuck this. And mm-hmm. I can easily imagine someone reading it and being like, yeah, you know, like, this is messy, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't want to project either of those things onto it. Um, but I do think that the bit where everyone wakes up from, like, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? It's not cold sleep because they're not frozen, but that science fiction thing where people get uh, put on, uh, sort of put to sleep and like hibernate for a while so they can travel interstellar distances. They wake up from that and they're like, what the fuck? Our ship is way off course. What are we doing? And they realize that the computer instruments read a bunch of stuff that they didn't expect and changed the ship's course while they were all asleep. And now they got to deal with it. That's cool as hell. I love when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Um, I distinctly remember this is like, the thing that got me into Brandon Sanderson was that I was like, I'm, I want to write. I wonder if there are any podcasts about writing. And mm. there, oh, are, wow. there are quite a few podcasts about writing. And so I got into two of them. One of them was Brandon's podcast, Writing Excuses, which is, uh, Brandon and some other established authors. And it's like 15 minutes long. Did it? Yeah. Sorry, I was going to tangent for a second, and I want—I don't want to, like, just totally about interrupt you. About writing excuses? No. Well, about Brandon. Oh, tell me about Brandon. He's got a new podcast, and I'm kind of bitter about it. It's like He's like, oh, it's just me and my buddy hanging out and, like, talking about bullshit. That's our fucking lane, Brandon. <laughs> Get out of here. You know that we didn't invent Hangout Podcast. Giant Bomb's been going for years. Export is better. I didn't say you- it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, finish. Are, finish are you saying? Thing. Are you saying he's like too rich to have a hangout podcast? No, I'm saying that um, we own um, hangout podcasts, and <laughs> if you want to start a hangout podcast, you have to run it through us. And I was just bitter about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did so? Did Idol Talk like talk to you? No, but Grace is cool. Grace can okay. have it. Um, the other one was a, a podcast, oh, what was it? Was it the Dead Robots Society? 
I don't know. Or something. And it was just a bunch of, like, libertarian authors self-publishing hard sci-fi books and, Oof. like, uh, horror books and talking about word counts every week. And I don't want to read different libertarians life. writing horror books. It was like a goo. It was like a goo that infected an oil rig. And that's what the horror thing was. Oh, I thought you were doing another metaphor. No! <laughs> um... I, I don't know. I read uh, Salem's Lot last year, and so on like some level, I do like when conservatives write horror novels, but also I read Salem's Lot last year and haven't had it in me to read another horror novel since then. Yeah, but sometimes you like that because you want to be the, the cool vampire. Yeah. And when a conservative writes a horror book, there's a chance you might... That's your... That's yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen King did just make the gays the vampires, and I was like, thank you, King. Literally. <laughs> um... Did we read it? I didn't read anything. I had something to talk about, but I needed to run it past you two. Can I talk about comic books? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of co- <laughs> I, I I like the idea of us talking about comic books because I love comics and I should read more comics and I don't have another place to talk about comics. I feel like the one exception is maybe you shouldn't get to talk about Batman comics. Yeah, luckily I didn't read any Batman comics. So, uh, But like... I want to hear what Autumn has to say about the comics they've been reading. Um, I, I read... Huh? I was just going to say, I held some comics. You did hold some comics. Yeah. Um, I read, um, I believe, five volumes of Chainsaw Man. I'm not going to say anything about Chainsaw Man because, like, everybody on the internet is talking about Chainsaw Man constantly, and I am waiting until, like, all the volumes of it are published in English to catch up. Um, so I have nothing to say about Chainsaw Man other than I have been reading it. The thing I wanted to talk about was um, Astro Boy. Um, nice. The big robot. Big robot. No, he's a, to- he's a small robot. But, but there he- was a big robot with horns. He looks kind yes. of like Garland from Final Fantasy. Okay, I don't know who Garland is. He's the- he'll- he will become Chaos. Okay. The horns. I'm gonna- Okay. I, I'm sorry, I just didn't have anything for that, and I was... <laughs> Big robot. Okay. Tell me about small robot. Um, so I, um, <clears throat> I, like a lot of people probably, um, come at Tezuka and Astro Boy from, like, oh, Pluto's really good. Let me, like, go read, like, the story that, like, Pluto is sort of based off of. Pluto, for people who don't know, is a, like... 2000s reimagining of the um, Astro Boy story, The Greatest Robot in the World, um, by Naoki Urasawa. It's very, like, dark, gritty. It's got, like, a detective, like, running around, like, investigating murders and all this sort of stuff. Um, And I had not read much Tezuka. I read most of Phoenix Volume 1 and was pretty, like blown away by it, but I had trouble finishing it because, like, um, there are no chapter breaks, and so you just, it felt like you had to read this, like, 300-page manga in, like, one sitting, and it was just, like, kind of daunting. Um, so I've not read a bunch of Tezuka, and I was reading, I read the, uh, The Greatest Robot in the World is in Volume 3 of Astro Boy. I read the first, uh, Astro Boy story in Volume 1, and then I jumped to, um, The Greatest Robot in the World, um, and I was really blown away by it because I think I went in 
Tezuka has a very like Walt Disney art style, and I think mm-hmm. I went in thinking this is a children's comic about giant robots that fight, and I'm just reading this from like a sort of like historical like context, not like I I didn't I kind of didn't expect to get invested in this. And the it, it's the story is about I think two two hundred pages maybe maybe a little less um, and for the first fifty or so for a little while I was like oh this is just a kids comic about some giant some like a small boy robot fighting a big robot with horns who is evil and I thought that's all it was and like at some point. It's not so much that it takes a turn as, as like, sort of, like, the the themes and ideas that Tezuka is, like, playing with come to a head. And, like, I started to, like, see how you get, like, Pluto, the Urasawa manga, out of this. Because, like, it, it ends up being a story about, like, why do people create robots? Like, why, um... Yes, Nora, you're raising your hand? Dead son. Well, besides that, I mean, that is part of it, um, because, like, so so Dr. Tenma, the scientist who creates Astro Boy, like, shows up in the first Astro Boy story to, like, make Astro after he loses his son, but then, like, is disgusted by Astro because he reminds him of his dead son and abandons him, and Dr. Tenma shows up in The Greatest Robot in the World to, like, make Astro a Super Saiyan so he can fight Pluto and then leaves again. Um, and so, like, there's, like, why do... Why would people be interested in making robots? And, like, it's asking the sort of, like, classic, like... The sort of question that, like, I do androids dream of electric sheep and iRobot is asking that, like, are robots people? And, like... I think Astro Boy is asking this not because of some sort of inherent quality of robots that um, makes robots less human because they're constructed, but is instead asking this because it's like, um, it's like, why do people not want these robots to be people? And the answer is sort of, because they need, like, mechanized labor, and they need someone else to do their labor that they don't feel bad about, do- <laughs> like, conscripting mm-hmm. into it. Um, it's There's a lot of, like, stuff happening in The Greatest Robot in the World, and it's also just, like, yeah, there's a bunch of robot fights that are fucking sick as hell. Tezuka is just, like, an incredible cartoonist, you know? This, this really makes me wish that the Proto-Men had read Astro Boy before writing their Mega Man rock opera. Yeah. Because... Uh... I do you really think that would have helped? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mm, <laughs> They got nothing. I, I'm not saying that the proto men have deep uh common I, I agree with you. The proto men do not really have a lot mm-hmm. to say about like what robots are and like what it might mean that people would create robots. But I also think that what they do have to say about that, they feel very passionately about, and it is sort of proto-teen libertarian. Yeah. And I don't really know how that would interact with what Autumn's described. Like, I I guess what I'm saying is, (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is, I think that the proto-men know where their hearts lie, and reading other science fiction stuff, they're going to interpret it through the main kind of 
thing well, that they want to uh, say about how like society is fucked up and people don't yeah, appreciate their heroes. The, the relationship between Dr. Light and his son who dies and his robot son who he built to replace him who dies and his robot son who he built to replace him who abandons him. Mm -hmm. Uh, what might be more interesting if they had, like, read a story about that? The other, um, the other thing that I think, the other reason I think maybe the Proto-Men would not get a lot out of Astro Boy is that I think part of the genius and the popularity of Tezuka is that I think I could hand this comic to a six-year-old and they could read it and they could be like, wow, cool robot, and that's a perfectly valid reading of this story, I think Tezuka does want to just, like, give you a comic that you can read and be like, wow, those were really cool fights between robots, and oh, the ending was kind of sad because Pluto turned out to be kind of a good guy deep down. <laughs> um, and I think you can, like, read that story and that's all you get out of it as, like, a, a little kid, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I think you can also, like, read it as a 26-year-old and be like, oh, there's, like, a lot of stuff. And, like, I don't think that, um, like, it's not sort of, like, I think it's, I don't think it's, like, it has all these themes. I don't think it's, like, I'm gonna sit you down, reader, and, like, explain to you the themes. I think it's just, like, those are present. And so I think if, say you are the proto-men, and you are maybe not, like, the most uh, adept readers of science fiction, perhaps, if you sort of come to things with your own sort of libertarian worldview. Um, I think at best, you, at best you will misread those things, and at worst you'll probably just be like, wow, those were some cool robot fights, you know? <laughs> um. It also, I mean, I will say it... it uh, not to say that it's a bad depiction in the comic, but it does sound like from what Autumn is saying that the relationship between Tenma and Astro is not like developed. It doesn't sound like Tenma is on screen or on page that much. Yeah, the whole thing is that t part of the thing that makes Tenma interesting as a character is that he just shows up for like five pages and fucks off again because he's just a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And like they illust like Tezuka illustrates this by making him not very present, because that is, like, the defining feature of his relationship to Astro, is that he only shows up to, like, make himself feel good about how smart he is, and then he leaves again. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I don't think they wanted Light to be that. They wanted him to be a tragic, uh, heroic figure. So I feel like if they read yeah. this and were like, damn, they'd be like, damn, what a terrible robot father. We're gonna make a better one, you know? <laughs> what if we just had a cool, what if Dr. Light was just a good robot dad? <laughs> and not examining the fact that, like, okay, but sending Mega Man off to, like, have all these robot battles is still being a bad robot dad, even if you're kind of sad boy about it the whole time. <laughs> he um, does pretty much try to get Mega Man to not do that, to be fair. I think it... I get, yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't want to, like, analyze the plot of the Proto Men's <laughs> albums, because I don't think it's worth our time, but in fairness, uh, uh, he did try to stop that from happening. He did try to stop he that He screams, from you cannot win as Mega Man leaves. He did do that. You know what? Okay. You know what? I didn't give the Proto Men enough credit, and I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for making you say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much more Astro Boy specifically I plan on reading because there's a lot of it, and um, I'm sure it's good. But I find myself more drawn to like Blackjack and Phoenix and Dororo um, as like Tezuka stuff if I'm gonna keep reading Tezuka. But I was really glad that I did read. Like I was really glad that I read this story. I got a lot out of it. I felt like so. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you read anything, Nora? Or- should we jump into Arcanum? I finished Yu-Gi-Oh! The Apprentice series. Does that count as... That is attention duelists. You can yeah. take your filth there. <laughs> I, I, would be, I would be willing to embrace a variety of like science fiction and fantasy and horror, like broadly defined, I guess, quote-unquote, speculative fiction works on this podcast. Like If one of us had watched a science fiction film... Or whatever. I'd be willing to to maybe entertain talking about that. But you have a different podcast for that. (laughs) Yes. You have a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. (laughs) You asked what I had done. I asked what you had read. You have to read it to click the video. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) Act like it. Well, let's let's talk about Elantris. Let's talk about Elantris. I I made a decision to read something, but I haven't read it yet. What did you decide to read? Gardens in the Moon. Okay. Sure. Uh, I'm gonna listen to a sample of the audiobook first, um, because I saw some mixed reviews about it. But I also own uh, the ebook, so it's fine. I have the audiobook, and I think maybe <clears throat> Audible has some mechanism for lending you the audiobook. So if you want me to do that, I think I could do that. I mean, I have a credit this month. Well, yeah, but don't spend a credit on a thing that you're not sure you're going to like if you're just going to read the ebook. I don't know. It's hard to read. Yeah. So. Anyway. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about fucking Elantris. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta click to... The mouse turns itself off. Okay. Why does your mouse do that? Because it saves battery. Your mouse has batteries. That's weird. Meow meow. Tell me about chapter 43. Chapter 43. Uh, Raiden is a piece of shit. Alright, chapter 44. Siri <laughs> is a piece of shit. <laughs> Raiden and Galadon explore a tower that gives access to the top of the Elantrian wall. Galadon comments on how much time Raiden spends with Serene, and Raiden explains that she is his wife, though he hasn't shared that fact with her yet. <laughs> <sighs> they locate the missing city guards at Tellery's mansion and puzzle about their presence there. Spirit and Galadon go to Press Serini, who is studying in the library, <coughs> for information about events in Kai. Serini seems unchanged from when she arrived in Elantris and states her aches don't persist like they do in other Elantrians. Serini isn't able to draw aeons, so she spends time reading about political theory instead. Serini shows a book written by Sayor to Spirit, uh, containing an original version of the poem Wern the King, which debunks current Dorethi teaching that Jadith uh, predates Shukisig. Uh, the poem shows that Jadith was really a minor god who cared for the rocks beneath the earth. Spirit presses for information on current events, and Serene complies, starting with Iodon's suicide, starting startling Spirit. Um... <sighs> Raiden sucks. 
Yeah, <laughs> is sort of our mouthpiece in this chapter. He's like, why don't you just tell her? And Raiden's like, I don't wanna. But there's there's absolutely zero justification at this point for him not telling her who he is. It's so ridiculous. It's not gonna get better. Like the more time you spend lying, uh huh, the worse it'll be when you tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Jumping ahead a little bit, like I think it, I think chapter forty four is setting up that she's just going to figure it out on her own. Um, yeah, she's got like almost all the pieces. She just kind of needs to put them together. Yeah. Um. Um. It's and it's the it's the majority of the chapter because basically you get this scene where they um like go to the top of the tower and you get Galadon like talking to him about like. Hey, I think you should just, you know, be honest with this person that you're like, because they're dating at this point. Like they're they have been yeah. like, dating for the last three days, and like Galon was like, "Hey, I think you should have some basic fucking respect for this person you're involved with." And Raiden says, "No," and then um, that sets us up to go to the scene where he just does that on screen for you know fifteen minutes, and then we go to the next chapter, and it's. It, it it's just frustrating. Like it's just there's no reason for the book to be like this. You know? <laughs> I feel like the idea of like people who have so, who you know are like married to each other but they don't know it and they're like spending time together and like falling in love without realizing oh this is actually the person that you're supposed to be with. Like that's a cute romance novely plot trope. Uh and, and like I, I swear I've actually seen romance novels that do something like this, um, but it needs to be justified by something, um, and also having it be completely one sided makes it so much like slimier. Yeah, um, if if Raiden didn't also know who she was, and that would be you would have to come up with a convoluted reason for that. But like this book is sure. full of convoluted reasons for things, so. But if Raiden also didn't know who she was, I wouldn't be complaining about this. I would just be like, ah, this is a little, like, drama for drama's sake, but, like, who cares, you know? Yeah, but no, it's literally just Raiden lying to Serene for no reason. Um, for, for like, a month at this point? Like, unclear. Un the, the time scale in this book continues to elude me uh, in a way that is not, like... It doesn't matter that much, but it does make it sort of hard to follow sometimes. Like, how long have the events of Elantris been going on? Like, I, I do... F given, like, Hraithen's little uh, deadline, um, first of mm -hmm. all, I mean, that, that means we know it can't have been more than, like, three months. Probably less than two months, I would guess. Yeah, maybe we're at, like, the six-week mark, maybe. But also, because of that deadline, like, that set it up, like, like timing was going to be important in this novel, yeah, uh, and it has not been, and that's weird. Yeah, I think he's ahead of schedule. Thing. Like he says last week, I think that Grayson says, "Oh, I'm like way ahead of schedule." Also, yeah, I'm like two, I've got a whole month, yeah, or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, also, we just get more like offhanded like racism toward Galadon in this chapter about like. Uh, that might be more in the next chapter, actually. That might be more in the next chapter. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm starting to wonder, like, it's been emphasized so, so many times that Galadon is not like other doulas. And right. I, I guess that that's just meant to be because he grew up in Elantris, or just because he's like his own person with his own quirks. But because it's been emphasized so many times, I'm like, is it going to be revealed that he's not really a doula? Like, because they've also it, talked about like, oh, it's so rare for doula people to be taken by the Sheod. That yeah, like I, I, I haven't thought about it, but now I'm wondering the same thing. Like, it's yeah. just weird. I mean, like I, uh, I do think that like we've already had the Galadon backstory reveal, and I don't think it's too likely that we're going to have a second one. Um, yeah. But- who knows? Brandon's mysteries are eternal. Yeah, Brandon and his little mysteries. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be too surprised if there was one more layer of something. But Yeah. Yeah, could be, could be. He's a uh, dragon. He's secretly a dragon. I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's going to be that he's secretly a dragon. <laughs> um... But yeah, do we want to just go on to chapter 44? Ch- once again. Well, oh, you I want to I want to talk a little bit about the stuff Serena is researching because it oh, annoys yes. me a lot. Because, okay, she's looking at basically Elantrian political theory. And, uh, like, first of all, I find the idea that the Elantrians have more sophisticated political theory than the outside world, which is clearly what we're meant to believe. That's clearly mm-hmm. how Sereni feels about that. Yes. I find that kind of ridiculous because, like, the Elantrians had a unique and, like, religiously based political system. And they were, like, secluded within their own weird little city and barely interacted with the outside world. If you wanted to interact with an Elantrian, you had to go to Elantris. So, like... The idea that they have, like, a sophisticated understanding of the politics of other nations doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless you're literally just like, well, they were gods, so they were smart about everything. Um, Right. And then also this big, uh, this big scoop that Serini finds (laughs) about, about Wern the King, um, like... You know, I kind of like this because this, this is the most information on the development of religious history in this setting that we've ever gotten. And it's yes. not terrible, you know. Yes. It's not it's not untrue that like as as a religious de- as a religion develops and becomes more monotheistic and more like militaristic, it would make sense for the people in charge of that religion to uh, I mean, the way it's presented is literally they edited the text of their, like, original epic, which I think is a little ham-handed. Um, I think in the real world, uh, when pe- when, you know, in the real world, over the course of thousands of years, people have changed the Bible for, like, different political purposes, mostly by reinterpreting it. Um, although, also, there have been plenty of, like, historical cases of books of the Bible becoming considered, like, canonical or non-canonical by different faiths. Um, But, you know, the basic idea that the religion develops over time, and therefore its relationship to one of its foundational texts develops over time, um, that makes sense. That's, like, not terrible. Yeah. Um, and, And the idea that there, at one point, was, like, a 
minor god who was a part of a polytheistic system who at some point over time became understood to be like the supreme monotheistic god again like that's a that's a real thing that happens but like mm-hmm. the idea that Serini knows because she found one book which has a different version of the epic Wern the King right um she now knows that that was definitely the original version rather than like it would be so easy, totally plausible for this to be Elantrian propaganda, like Elantrian anti-feudal propaganda, saying, oh, actually, we know their holy text better than they do. Well, and um, that was the thing I was thinking, because she, sa- she like, says, oh, if this got out, it would be a major embarrassment to Wern and Fjordal and, and Shudirith. But, like, if this got out and I were Wern, I would say, that's Elantrian horse shit. You know, (laughs) like they were pagans anyway. What do they know? Like, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, I so want to know more about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're not going to learn about it. We barely got to know what the Jisker mysteries are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jadith was a minor god who cared for the rocks beneath the earth. Okay, tell me about that. What? Yeah. I want to know about what kind of faith existed among the Fjordal people or whatever their, whoever their ancestors were, um, in which there was such a thing as a minor god, because all of the religions that we've seen so far, aside from the Elantrian religion, or rather the the way that people worshipped Elantrians and also whatever it was that the Elantrians worshipped, which I think are not the same thing. Um, but the ones that we've actually seen as, like, living faiths all appear to be monotheistic. Um, possibly, it's possible that maybe, um, Shukorath or Shukeseg are a little bit more, like, monistic than monotheistic. Like, it's not clear to me. Well, no, 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 sorry. Um, uh, Shukorath definitely has a personified deity in Domi. We don't really know what Shukesek is doing. They clearly believe in some kind of oneness. It's not clear to me if they think that oneness is like a personality, like a god, or if it's yeah. more of a, you know, ripped off, if it's like a rip off of Taoism or something like that. But um, setting that aside completely, certainly we have not seen anything that could be described as polytheism that would involve a minor god. So mm-hmm. I'd love to know about that. Um, but uh, the, the way that that is framed here, Serini says... You know, the thing that Nora just quoted about uh, Jadith was a relatively unimportant god. And then she says, Now that Fjordan is religious, they can't have it sounding like their greatest historical king was a pagan. And I'm like, excuse me? They were clearly religious before. They had such a thing as an unimportant god. And, like, <laughs> the, just the deployance of the word pagan as though that is obvious what that should mean in this context. Of course, it means people who follow an older religion that is polytheistic as opposed to the more recent text-based monotheistic religions. We're just transplanting the Christian idea of what paganism is into this setting. Right. It it sucks. It's so thoughtless. It's also... I have Cosmere brain thinking about these things, too. I have it a bit, too. (laughs) Yeah, which is interfering with, with my brain of like, oh... What if this is what Brandon is gesturing at, despite the, like, so much greater Cosmere, like, cosmology stuff being completely outside of the books? 
Mm-hmm. And being shit that he says at book signings, mm-hmm. and and uh, imp- and as like results implied by details in the books. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. Okay. I'm really trying not to bring too much of that because, yeah. like, I just it's hard to even get a grip on like how much of that Brandon knows when he's writing this book. Uh, and so to the point where I'm like trying not to think about it, but I definitely, yeah. Um, well, he did go back to it. Ten yeah, years later, and so if he wanted to change that stuff, I'm that's, sure he would have. Brandon true. did go back to his holy texts. If he wanted to edit them, <laughs> make it seem like like Shudareth uh, had had been prefigured in the ancient epics, he did have the opportunity to do that. But the so I guess um, to kind of tie together like what both of you are saying, the thing. I guess the, like, one, like, Cosmere brain thing that I feel comfortable talking about here is just that, like, I would love to have a better idea of, like, what Shukorath's feelings about Jadith are, you know? Like, because I I understand that, like, most of what we've seen of these two religions is sort of a political. I would love to know what church doctrine about who... Because... Because Sereni does not seem to be invested in debunking the existence of Jadith, you know? Yeah. She, like, does she-, she accepts that Jadith is real, so I would love to know what is church doctrine about who Jadith is. Because we know that Shu-Dareth and Shu-Korath both are branches of an original... Of Shu-Kesig. Shu-Kesig. Which is also separate from Jadith, the individual deity. Yes. So at some point, Jadith was incorporated into a branch of Shukeseg. Yeah. For some reason, somehow. Um, and and, and, <clears throat> and I, this is stuff that was explained earlier that I can't remember. I, Wern was a king who is the sort of like, who is the avatar of Jadith in the world, and I believe Shudirith people believe that, like, Wern is reborn um, to resume his throne. I think that's true. I don't think Wern is supposed to be the same Wern. Yeah, I don't think I it's the same I believe there was guy. a number associated with his name at the beginning of the book. Yes. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I But, um, so... so- Something has just occurred to me about how uh, Jadith is being depicted here, um, which is really kind of uh, upsetting and, like, racist. Um, are, are either of you familiar with the idea that Allah originated as a moon god? No. Okay, so this is this is an idea that it basically... It's, it's, a, it's a, you know... Uh, religious historical slash archaeological idea that um the name and like sort of personality of Allah originates as a moon god who was worshipped in like uh pre-Islamic cultures and that then when you know Islam began and uh converted people of those cultures that they kind of turned that god into the supreme god Mm -hmm. and this is a pretty like uh this is a dismissive point of view 
Uh, I don't think that it is particularly well attested historically. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, it's kind of like not like the word Allah just means God. And and like uh, Arabic speaking Christians and Jews also use the word Allah to refer to God. That's just that's just what that word means. Um, and so the idea that Jadith is a name for the supreme god, but it originated as the name of a minor, unimportant god from a polytheistic religion, and that even though, like, even though there is a separate religion, uh, there's the good guy religion, um, Shukorath, that worships a supreme god whom they call Domi, and then there's another religion which they acknowledge is kind of like a related religion, but that worships a supreme god under the name of Jadith. But it seems like Shukorath doesn't look at it as, oh, you call God by a different name and you have like a wrong interpretation of what God is like. But we recognize that Jadith is the same thing as Domi because those words just both mean God. On in contrast, there seems to be this perspective that, like, Jadith is a different guy. And I think that is a, the way that a lot of American Christians think about the idea of Allah. And basically, I've been thinking this whole time that there was a little bit of a hint of, like, anti-Muslim sentiment in the way that um, Shudareth is portrayed, because it is, I think, supposed to be the youngest of these religions. And it's, like, you know, its its flavor is, like, Norse. But it is uh-huh. the, like, scary conquering religion, right? As opposed okay. to, like, the good guy, uh, Shu uh, Korath, which has this whole time been very obviously Christian. Yes. Um, and it is branched, they're both branched out of Shu Kisig. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think that, I do not think that in Brandon's mind he was like, yeah, this is my Muslim copy religion and that's why they're bad guys but i do think it's very very possible that brandon has encountered this allah was a moon god idea and was like oh what an interesting historical idea yeah it kind of makes sense that like people would uh sort of promote a a relatively uh, unimportant or, or just a god who existed in a polytheistic system to the position of supreme god i'm gonna put that in my book and like totally careless of the fact that like that is an idea that is like leveraged to denigrate Islam and to claim that Islam is kind of not in the same category as Christianity, not monotheistic the way Christianity is, even though mm. it, it is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I, that That's all very interesting. I had not heard that. And as soon as you start laying it out, I'm like, okay, yeah, I see how we get here. Like very like, yeah. <laughs> Um, you looked like you were going to say something, Nora. No. Okay. No. Uh, right. What you know, right? <laughs> Brandon is unfortunately in 2005 writing what he knows, and what he knows is a very mm. uh, this this being 2005 also adds a little extra yeah. little tinge to that yeah. to that idea. That is why mm. I brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> I'm just so, I'm still just fixated on, what does a minor god who cares for the rocks beneath the earth mean? Yeah. What's he doing? What's he doing? What's, what do those what, rocks need? What's down there? Do you need to water the rocks like they're plants? What's up? You gotta shave them? <laughs> I mean, it definitely, he sounds like kind of a, a, a sweetheart. Uh, 
Yeah, this think- this does make me just like, oh, I love Jadith now. Jadith's great. <laughs> he just likes the rocks. <laughs> the Jad Wern versus the Virgin Domi. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't remember what I was going to say. Should we move on to chapter 44? Sure. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Chapter 44. Sereni explains the circumstances around Iodon's death, including details of his involvement in the Jaskari mysteries. She also talks of how Telri is in line to seize the Aralian throne with Dorethi assistance. She then goes into <laughs> extreme detail on the political situation, though some of the information is already understood by Spirit. Spirit presses Sereni on how she had legal standing to marry Royal when that would violate her marriage contract with Rayadin, and she counters that it was a political arrangement that dissolved with Iodon's death, and that marrying Royal would provide better for Erlon's future. Spirit is dismayed by this statement. Spirit wishes they were able to contact the outside, and Sereni reveals Ash and sends him to the outside to spy and report if Telri assumes the throne. Ash returns and advises them that Telri is now king. This chapter does not touch on, like, maybe the most important thing, which is that Sereni is really close to, like, catching Raid in his lie here. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it she, just... <laughs> you go. She's explicitly like, damn, you know a lot more about, like, the highest nobles in the court. Like, it actually seems like you knew them personally, uh, and that doesn't make a lot of sense for the kind of minor noble you were claiming to be. Uh, and Spirit is just laughing it off, like, oh, it's actually very important for people in this political context to be familiar with the most important movers and shakers. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't explain how you clearly know these guys like they're your buddies. Yeah, and and, and um, Ash, like, I think Serenia is, like, thinking, like, oh, I had Ash try to dig up some information on, like, the second son of the owner of the Ian plantation, and... I couldn't find anything, and, like, maybe that's nothing, but, like, it doesn't sound like this guy is real, you know? Um, and and he is so invested in her marriage to Rayadin, and he knows all about it. Yes. Like, he's, like, he's, like, shocked that she was going to marry Royal, and Sereni is, like, yes, because my first marriage was a political arrangement, it dissolved with Iodon's death, marrying Royal made sense, and he's, like... You know, he's like, well, how did you, how are you able to deal with the fact that your marriage contract says you could never marry again? And like, oh, why were you going to marry Royal? Uh, you decided to marry both of them just for politics, huh? That's so sad. And it's like, dude, why do you care? And why do you know this much? Like, she catches him in knowing that the contract said she could never marry even after Raiden's death. And He's like, um, oh, you just said that. And she's like, no, no I did not. And Galadon is like, I'm not getting involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you blame him? Galadon is just sitting there like, dude, your lies are very obvious. And I'm not going to be the one to tell her because, you know, I guess I'm your friend or whatever. But like, you're digging your own grave and I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> well, and it's to the point... It's to the point that I'm, like, almost a little mad at Sereni for not figuring it out because it is so obvious. And I feel like the only reason she hasn't figured it out is because she's having this conversation. And, like, surely, like, the next Sereni chapter is going to be, like, her, like, you know, I thought about it for six seconds after we stopped talking. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, but it's weird. It's weird. It's not- Because Sereni is smart. You know, and Serini is smart yes. at this exact thing. And she tells herself, 
in this chapter, like, oh yeah, I'm the good, like, secrets keeper and, like, digger up of information, and, like, just couldn't figure it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it no, it, it, it absolutely is, like, undercutting this, this idea that's been central to Serini's character this whole time, which is that she's, like, a smart and canny political operator, but she, like, cannot put two and two together about this basic thing, and it's so frustrating. The idea- His name is Rayo! Sorry. Yes! It is! It- ah! The the idea that somebody will claim that a family member is dead rather than admit that they were taken by the Sheod as, like, a cultural custom in this city has never been brought up to her, and that is the reason she hasn't put it together. Nobody has ever mentioned the idea that you can just lie about being dead. But also, she She did think in the first chapter, she's like, it's weird that, like, they had a closed casket funeral for him, even though he died in his sleep or whatever. <laughs> and she also, <laughs> she did theorize at one point something along the lines of, like, what if Rayadin is not dead, but has been, like, imprisoned? Like, yeah. she did theorize about the idea that Rayadin was not really dead. Uh, so It's just that she hasn't thought about the fake Sheod. She... Or or the, the lying about the Sheod, sorry. Mm-hmm. She... Got distracted by uh, dethroning and attacking God. And uh, <laughs> now... Nora, why are you trying to stick up for this book? <laughs> I'm not. She got distracted. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, we're saying it's incoherent, and you're trying to explain it and make it coherent, and I don't understand I'm... your motivation. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you were suspecting some weird shit around a death, wouldn't you also get easily distracted from that and just do other uh, things and then just just start a different plot immediately? I think we've God. all been there. I think we've all been there where we just decide to drop that plot for a different one. Yeah. Oh, God. He's just so, like, he's so sad and, like, stung by realizing that her that she views her marriage to Rayadin as a fundamentally political arrangement. And it's like, also, oh my God, I hate his sad boy act in here because like one, they've been hanging out for three days and really enjoy each other's company. They used to like Skype for hours and hours. Like Rayadin, you know that she loves you, and you now have proof that she would love you even if you she didn't know who you were. You have actual, literal proof that she would fall in love with you even if she there was no political motivation to it. Why are you getting so hung up on the fact that she's like, well, yeah, I thought my husband was dead, so I did something else. <laughs> and, like... Why did you need her to be faithful to you when you were dead? You possessive also, little weirdo. You're, you're implying that something should happen that Rayadin doesn't want. <laughs> I don't really think that's how the world works. It's also you know. like, like, why does he expect... I mean, okay, I guess because they've become very close, especially over the last three days. But, like, she's kind of lying, right? When she says that yeah. her marriage to Rayadin was purely political. Like, it, I mean, it is clearly true that that is why it was arranged in the first place. But also, like, she really enjoyed Skyping with him, and she was really excited to meet him, and she was very sad and, like, hurt 
that he was dead and she was never going to get to meet him for real. Like, she did have feelings for Raiden, and she is not talking about those here because obviously it's painful and it's private. And so, like, the fact that he can't see that, even though later in the exact same conversation, he's kind of like, uh, with regards to her suddenly pulling ash out of her pocket, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I'm not bothered that you hid this from me because you kind of seem like someone who has to keep some secrets to feel comfortable. And it's like, okay, so understand that she's keeping secrets about her feelings for Rayadin. Yes! Because because they're private and they don't matter, right? Like, unlike the secret about Ash, which I actually think is like a huge thing. <laughs> like, uh, the fact that she actually did have feelings for Rayadin doesn't matter to the political discussion that they're having. Right, um, like, like even if she she's clearly falling for this guy, but, like, she doesn't need to tell him, like, literally everything when they've known each other for three days, and I don't know why he expects that of her. <laughs> it would be maybe a reasonable thing to, like, want from your spouse, but she doesn't think that they're spouses. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Can I talk a little bit about how I'm frustrated with this this Ash thing? Yes, please. Because, like, last Sereni chapter, she was like, yeah, I'm going to use Ash to get information from the outside world. And basically, she's been keeping the information she's getting from Ash and also just, like, the wealth of information that she has about the political situation outside in general secret for three days. For what? Like... The only explanation that's given about why she didn't share all the stuff about, like, uh, her dethroning Eodon and Eodon killing himself and, like, Tellery maneuvering for the throne and whatever, all that shit. The only explanation she gives is, like, well, uh, the explanation from, like, um, Raiden's point of view is that, like, she, it seems sensitive to her, so he didn't want to press her on it. And then, like, from her point of view, it's that she was like, well, this is irrelevant to us, we're in Elantris now. But, like... It's not true that it's relevant to them then. It's very relevant, and they both know that. Like, he is worried about a, a feudal invasion. Uh, she is very much paying attention. She is also worried about a feudal invasion, and she is paying attention to the political situation outside. They both care about that. It doesn't make sense that they didn't at some point discuss, hey, we want to know what's going on outside, and that she didn't in that discussion say, well, here's what I know. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, then once she does decide to spill the beans, she just tells him everything relatively unemotionally and is actually kind of surprised, kind of surprised when he's shocked. So the idea that like she was hiding it all because it was sensitive and like, you know, this whole thing about being like revealed as an Elantrian on her wedding day was like so painful. Like, I, of course, I get it. That particular detail, very mm -hmm. upsetting. Um, but she also didn't need to share that detail. She could have just said, yeah, the the Shayod took me before I was able to marry Royal, and so all of our plans were spoiled, you know? Right. Um, I just... I no, ju drama is when characters have secrets. For I don't no like reason. either of these characters. No, not really. No. At all. I do not like spending time with them. One of the things that's been kind of funny for me is, like, when, sometimes when I'm reading this book, I can't hold back and I have to complain verbally. And so I complain to Ben. Um, and he doesn't care about this book and isn't reading it. So he doesn't really know the difference in terms of the names between Hraithan and Rayadin. 
<laughs> like those names kind of sound similar to him. And so when I'll be like, oh, Raiden did this stupid thing, he'll be like, oh, is he the hero? And what he means is, is he Raiden? <laughs> um. Should we- and I have to be like, I have to be like, no, he's the villain. He's the prince who's the villain. <laughs> I can't, I just, I know in my heart that Raiden isn't going to make it through this book, and I don't want that to be true, but I just know it. There's no sure. way. Should we talk about our king? Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Once in future. <laughs> oh my... Sorry, please continue. I'll say the thing that I just realized later. Hraithan finds the location where Rayadon and Galadon... Rayadon and Galadon <laughs> ventured onto the Elantris wall, but decides to keep this information to himself because everyone loves secrets. He silently <laughs> mm-hmm. congratulates himself for his political maneuverings, which will lead to a peaceful conquest of Arlon. He also worries about Serini's fate, scanning the streets of Elantris for a sight of her, but doesn't see any Elantrians anywhere. Eventeos Sion... Eventeos Sion. Eventeos Sion <laughs> finds Hraithen and opens a communication channel so they can parlay. Eventeo offers to convert to Shudareth if Jadith heals Serini of her transformation as he healed Hraithen. And Hraithen says he will do what he can. You could have put more fake words into that sentence. <laughs> he could have said, Evanteo offers to convert to Shudareth if Janeth heals Serini of her Sheod. <laughs> As he healed Hraithen of his Sheod. <laughs> anyway, fucking king shit. I was literally like, this seems a little bit short-sighted. To get you know, as a way of getting Serini off of the... I can't believe I doubted him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a plan. He's like the <laughs> Kaiba Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so cool and in control of himself now. Last week we were talking about like last lines of books and stuff and like how we um or maybe we were talking about this on export. I can't remember yeah. now. I think I think it was export that you were talking about that. Yeah, we were talking about like, oh, I don't know that like Brandon is like great at like last lines of his novels, and we were like, you know, just chatting about that. Uh, last line of this chapter is uh, Hraithen would deliver um, two nations to Jadith in in a month. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, thank you, King. Oh, I love oh. him. <laughs> I love him so much. This is the first yeah. time in this book, um, other than, I guess, fake Elantrian for for Hraithen, mm-hmm. uh, because I did predict that one, mm-hmm. but this is yeah. the first, like, twist that I was like, oh, shit. I, d- I didn't see this Brandon coming. wrote this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I, I do want to point out that it's very convenient for Hraithen how quickly Evanteo uh, folded. Mm-hmm. To his sort of implicit pressure, because um, if Evanteo had waited longer than three days to Skype Hraithen, uh Serini would have been miraculously healed anyway, um, <clears throat> and this whole plan would have fa- would have failed. Do you think that Hraithen would be able to like get her into custody and control that information I was- enough to make this plan work anyway? I was wondering, is part of Hraithen's plan, um, because there's been so many remarks about there not being any guards on the city walls, I was wondering if part of Hraithen's plan is 
even when she is healed, it will be difficult for her to get out of Elantris. That's true. You know? There's also the idea of this plan still works, but it's proactive. It's, mm-hmm. hey, I healed your daughter mm-hmm. with the power of Jadith. Does yeah. that make you think of anything? Does that make you reconsider anything? Yeah. Like, that could, that's like a, it's a weaker plan, maybe, but. Or, or I healed your daughter and I have her in custody. Okay, yes. <laughs> I healed yeah. your daughter. Also, I own knives. <laughs> okay, so here's here's my theory as to the loophole in Hraithan's plan here, which is that when he notices, so we didn't really talk about this all that much when we did the uh, Raiden chapter, but Raiden and Galadon get up to the top of the stairs and like laboriously break a hole in a wooden door so that they can get up on top of the um, the wall. Mm-hmm. And and at the beginning of this chapter, Hraithan notices that. And Hraithan is kind of like, yeah, I don't really care about this. Like, I don't really care if some Elantrians sneak out into the city because they won't get far because they have this, like, obvious distinctive appearance. Mm-hmm. Now, if Serene recovers, she will be able to sneak out of the city. That's true. This hole. That's okay. So I, I, that's my prediction is that, um... The way that Serene is going to slip through Hraithan's fingers is by getting out that way. Also, uh, uh, I don't know that Hraithan is considered, like, that her Sion... I don't, I don't know if Hraithan knows that she has a Sion, and I don't know if if he does know that, how much he she is had considered... Ash- she brought Ash with her to, like, parties and shit. He totally knows she has a Sion. That's another very good point. He should know that her Sion is still fine. Uh, this is why like, I assumed at first that he would have captured her Sion. Yes. Um, but then then Ash just finds her, and I was like, oh, okay. So he didn't do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he does know about Sions, and I assume, like, he has one. I assume he knows how they work and how mm-hmm. the Sheod affects them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he did. I guess he failed to consider Sion's. <laughs> uh, I just yeah. hope he keeps winning. I know he's yeah. not. I know at some point he's going to become like tragic in some way. I don't really know what's going to happen. But I just want him to keep winning. I love when Harrythan's on top. I do want to mention one other thing about Harrythan's plan here, um, which is that it does. His entire plan this whole time for Erlone, but even more so this plan that he has for Teod, rests on the idea that if you convert the king, um, even if you convert the king purely in name, and the king is like, yeah, sure, I'll pay lip service to your faith because I need it to get power, or because I needed it to heal my daughter, um, then the entire nation will come with him. And that is, like, not true. There have been plenty of examples in history of uh, like places where kings have converted to a different religion, and it, like, obviously it has a big effect. It does something, but it doesn't like instantly bring the entire nation into the new faith. Uh, it like creates a conflict. I I wonder if that is like this is Hraithan like the way to do this without killing everyone. Is to is trickle down, uh, religion, uh-huh. theologics, trickle down theologics. There we go. I managed to make it rhyme. Um, and like, maybe if he says, "Hey, the king converted," 
then that means Wern goes, okay, everybody, be cool for ten years at least. And, and, yeah. and we can all see how this pans out. Um, and he, I definitely, he, I definitely think it's perfectly believable that, uh, that Fjordan has, you know, further plans for what to do with a kingdom whose king has converted and isn't just gonna like, be like, alright, job done, and sit back. Like, they might yeah. send, you know, a bunch of priests there to be like, alright, now that you've converted, you need all these priests to like tell you what to do, or whatever. Um, but the way Hraithen is talking about it, it's like he thinks that by converting Aventeo, uh, he will get Teod in one fell swoop. And he talks about Telri and thinking, well, I didn't convert Telri in, in heart, but his children, his children will be raised Dorothy. Yeah. Uh, and that's just like a glimpse into a more interesting, like, mm-hmm. uh, struggle for Hraithen as like just sacrificing this guy's like, I guess in their opinion, in their, like, doctrine, like, the sacrifice this guy's soul to save all of the the descendants that will be part of. Yeah. And it's like, yep. he doesn't dwell on that much, but it was, you know, it's a thing that he he does acknowledge. He thinks about it for a second. Yeah. I, I, I love him musing. Yeah. I love him just pondering. I now, I would love, I would love to know what exactly... Uh, Shudareth believes is necessary to be saved because mm-hmm. uh, it sounds from the way that Hraithen is talking about it like yeah because uh, Telri doesn't like have faith in his heart therefore uh, Jadith will not accept him um, but that's not like not every religion throughout history has thought about uh, like being a good member of the religion in that way mm-hmm. there have been plenty of faiths um, and even like sects of Christianity where like if you do the right things, if you, like, participate in the correct rituals and, like, do what is understood to be, like, right behavior in general, then you're good. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that Jadith's, that, that, that Shudareth shouldn't have a more, like, faith-focused understanding, um, but I am saying that I just, as always, I want to know more about these religions, and I would also like for there to be contrast, like, Maybe Shukorath cares more about behavior, um, but doesn't actually seem like it. Yeah. <sighs> um, Hraithen is on top of the world right now. He's so I love him. So he's so much. confident. He's having a good time. Yeah. Eventio, on the other hand, pathetic. Easily outfoxed. (laughs) Cares more about cares more about his his daughter, who is not even like a part of his household anymore, than about all the rest of his people. It's it's weird how like Eventio has been the good king over and over and over again. And because he's like a nice dad, but now all of a sudden, being a nice dad is the thing that makes him totally like weak to yes. Hraithen's schemes. And I think we're meant to be pretty sympathetic to Aventio here, and I just am not. I like <sighs> it's weird to square in my head because um I don't know how much of like 
oh, I know that Brandon Sanderson is always thinking about, like, what is it to be a king? And that is, like, a central concern of, like, his other novels beyond this. That, like, in my head, this makes Eventio a bad king. But I don't know that that's what's happening here. It's I don't know to say because how... all of the Eventeo being good king is always the Sereni chapter. Yes. We have never had another character's opinion of Eventeo. Yes. And, and good dad and good king have been one and the same in this book that I don't know have always been true. It would be really interesting if Sereni's assumptions about the world were called into question at some point. That will never know? happen. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, do you remember when Eventio was like, I'm ready to, like, bring my troops to Elantris to break you out of there? Yeah. And Serena was like, no, don't do that. Like, this is a powder keg. You'll ignite that. But what he's doing, this conversion, will also ignite a powder keg. Um, So, like, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I do understand and I like the element where Eventeo is so strongly motivated by his love for Sereni that he's willing to do something pretty outlandish, but it feels like he jumped to completely capitulating to everything that Hraithan wants immediately. And it's like, well, couldn't you at least have negotiated a little bit and been like, Hraithan, I'm not going to convert to uh, Shudareth. That's completely not an option, but perhaps I will allow Dorethi worship in my nation, which right. I'm pretty right. sure he doesn't. Yes, yeah, you know? they, 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 thing. In living memory, they evicted all of the Dorethi priests. And, like, even getting that eviction lifted, I think, would, like, be a huge win for Hraithan that he could, like, bring to Jadith. And Jadith would be like, all right, let's next on the list. Let's Instead, go. he got an even bigger win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, what I'm saying is, like, I don't necessarily have too much problem with Aventeo making some kind of concession for what he wants and, like, doing something that is not strictly sort of geopolitically strategic because he cares about Sereni so much, but it's so quick and such a total loss for him that it just makes me lose all respect for him. Yeah. Kings. Yep. Can't live with them, can't live without them. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you, you uh, can yeah. do that. <laughs> I mean, minutes. maybe... <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... Is that going to bring us to the end of this episode? Uh, I think so. That sounds about right. <clears throat> We're 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 plugging away. We're chip, we're getting there. Chipping through. We're getting there. Um, an old quote from Brandon that I dug up recently mm-hmm. um, was I don't really remember how old it was, but people he would say people ask uh, for a sequel to Elantris, and there Do is they? one. It's called Mistborn. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know how old that quote is, but I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I was thinking about Mistborn this week, just like general. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm so excited to get to Mistborn. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. Uh, yeah. We will have completely new things to get peeved about. <laughs> totally different. Um, Mark, where can people find you online if they just want to get more Mark in their life? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt. 
And you can check out my other podcast about Moby Dick, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Autumn? You can find me on Twitter at uh, autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts and support this one at exportodd.io. You should listen to Export Audio, a podcast where Nora and I hang out and, (laughs) for example, discuss our trip to Texas. Um, Road trip food review. Road trip food review. And get really even more angry about Patrick Rothfuss. Yes. We mentioned in the last episode, if you want to, oh, the yeah. continuation of that conversation, uh, we did it on the most recent Export Audio. Yeah. we There, there is a lengthy Rothfuss segment. Yeah. And Daniel Green, again. A little bit of Daniel Green. He's always showing up, unfortunately. I, I, I've grown to like him, much as I complain mm. about him. I've grown to like him. Have you guys, uh, have, have y'all finished, uh, The Name of the Wind? Are you going <laughs> to finish it? I intend to. I meant to ask you, Nora, do we want to finish that together, or do we want to just listen? We'll probably do it separately, because yeah. we did it as an audiobook in a road trip, and now we're like, well, the audiobook's on your phone. The audiobook's on my phone, and we're not in the car so much that we can read this, like, 30-hour yeah. book together. Okay, then I can... Mm-hmm. I could probably knock that out in the next two weeks. Uh, I'd like you to read Dark Force Rising, Two. I, will, I will do that as well. <laughs> I don't know when we'll be able to schedule that one, but yeah. um, you know. But yeah, I can I can knock out Name of the Wind and I will just when I finish it, I can bring up you know, bring it up one last time on here, but I could knock that out pretty like, soon. I feel if we like. hate the whole book, do we still read the second one? No, I don't intend to read Wise Man's Fear right now. I I, I do not intend to read Wise Man's Fear. I do intend to finish Name of the Wind. That's There's also that novella. I don't intend to read that either. The Slow Regard of Silent Things. It's a good title. It's a good I title. I guess so. It's a lengthy title. I like I like it's, a lengthy title. It's no uh, Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. Yeah, it's certainly not that. Um You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find stuff I do at norablake.online. That's an old website, I should update it. You should. Um Go to the secondbestgame.club and listen to our journal updated on Bioshock that just went out this week. Next up, we're doing Undertale and then Deus Ex. So. Hell yeah. Hopefully, um. Bangers. Hopefully it's fun. I think it'll be fun. I've never played Undertale, but I watched a let's play of it. A, a complete let's play of all the different routes, um. When it came out, which was six years ago. Uh huh. I enjoyed Undertale a lot. I'm definitely eager to hear your your thoughts on it. Yeah. And right. <laughs> Attention Duelist is my Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. Let's get out of here. You should listen to my podcasts. Well, it's also we're getting we're getting to our hard time limit, so let's get out of here. Okay. <laughs> thanks, uh, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Rathan. <laughs>